Did 9-11 bring out the best in us? Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 47. Jesus is teaching. He says, you're familiar with the old written law. Love your friend and its unwritten companion. Hate your enemy. I'm challenging that, Jesus says. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Not bring, let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you're working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives His best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless. The good, the bad, the nice, the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. This is a day to remember. And so today we do remember the tragic loss of life. People lost their lives in a day that we're remembering. 246 passengers on four hijacked airplanes all died, and we remember them. 2,602 people were in the two towers that collapsed, and the rescue workers that also went in. Ninety different nations represented in the people that died on that day. There were 125 people in the Pentagon. Fifty-five of those were military personnel. Everybody else were civilians. There's also hijackers. Maybe it's inappropriate for them to be on the same slide, but my friends, they were people too. Horribly misguided people. Tragically wrong. Tragically buying into something that was foolish. But I'm just like them. I can do stupid stuff. I pray that I would never be deceived to this point. But still, people lost their life, and we're all remembering them today. And, it, and I wish I could say that was it, but we're also remembering today that there's now been 10 years of enmity and continued loss. 4,474 U.S. military casualties in Iraq. 1,762 U.S. military casualties in Afghanistan. The total casualties in Afghanistan, our military, their military, innocent civilians, 19,629 people. Wounded in Afghanistan, 48,644 people. The people. Total casualties in Iraq, 900,338 people. Total wounded, 
1,690,903 people. Total cost through March of this year, the lives you can't put a cost to, $1.238 trillion spent on war the last 10 years. Lord, we're stunned into silence for so much loss. Lord, in our silence we remember, we remember these lives lost. And in remembering the loss of life, we remember who the enemy is. The enemy is Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda is a Sunni Islamist militant group. They're Salafi jihadists. When you look at the bigger world, the demographics of Islam, this is what it looks like. 84% of Sunni Muslims spread around this globe. 15% Shia, 1% are Salafi jihadists. What that translates into is 1.6 to 1.9 billion people on this planet are Muslims. They've been with us since 600 AD. They've been in our nation since the beginning of our nation. It's not new that Muslims have lived in the United States of America. What is new is what began in the 1970s. And there was an Islamist uh, rebellion. Many of us are a revival. Those of us that can remember, uh, it started in Iran, Khomeini. What, What I think we need to keep in historical perspective is that the 1960s in America unhinged our culture. Most of us in this room have studied our history to know there was free sex, there was lots of drugs, the family began to break apart, institutions were questioned, and what we didn't realize is that as our culture suffered the consequences of making those choices, it also began to cause consequences overseas. I hear many times that these things have happened to us because they want what we have. It's really the opposite. They do not want what we have. They do not want our economy. They do not want our divorce rate. They do not want the number of abortions that we have. They do not want it. It is a threat to their culture. They do not want our secularism. In this world, there is no secular. It's all religious. So what has happened in our nation tragically has pushed buttons globally. And so just like you and I really have this passion to see things restored in our country, we want to see marriage restored. We want to see family regained. We want to see sex honored again. 
We want to see babies that come into this world and we receive. Well, we all want that. Many of these people do too. But in the twistedness, there's a few within this world that have bought into a philosophy, an ideology. It's the same ideology that motivates a, quote, Christian to blow up an abortion clinic here or to take out a gun and blow away the abortionist. It's the same ideology. I am so right that I can kill others. Now, the jihadists, they'll kill Muslims as well as Christians. They don't care. I mean, all the other Muslims in the world are apostate as far as they're concerned. So there are Muslims that died in the towers as well because they don't care. So our enemy is 1% of the Muslim world. If you wonder what that translates to, that's 10 million people. You take the population of South America, the population of North America, and the population of Russia. Got that in your mind? That's approximately the number of Muslims in this world. And if you put all of these jihadists in one city, it would be Houston, Texas. Now that 10 million can do a lot of damage, as we can see. But my friends, this world is not our enemy. We're not at war with Islam. We remember who our enemy is. Salafi jihadists. And you can find it if you'll just go to Google. I Personally, stop listening to talk radio and TV. They're leading us astray. Start reading yourself. I spent the day yesterday as a crazy, it was supposed to be my birthday, but I'm reading this. It's all there. Read it. You can find out who the enemy is. You don't have to believe me. Go check it out. But stop listening to the people that are causing us to think that we're at war with 1.9 billion people on the planet, because we're not. Matter of fact, there are so many myths. Here are some of them written by Americans that happen to be Muslim. Myth number one, the term jihad signifies holy war, killing the infidel and political dominance. To the jihadists, yes, that's what it means. But to the 99% of other Muslims, that's not what it means. Myth number two, the Sharia is repressive and against American values. With the 1%, yes. To the rest of the Muslim world, no. It's not what it means at all. Myth number three, Muslims are out to overtake the Constitution and establish Sharia law in America. No. Again, Muslims have lived in in America as America served in the armed forces are just as supportive of the Constitution as I am. It's not what they're doing. The 1% jihadists, yes, but not 99% of the Muslims in this world. Myth number four, Muslims aren't condemning terrorism enough. The scary thing is they do, but our press does not publish it. 
I can take you to website after website after website. The fatwa to fatwa to fatwa, declaration in the Muslim world that said, no, this is not Muslims. This is not Islam. How many of us have listened to the king of Jordan, Abdullah? Eloquent in his condemnation of this kind of stuff. Myth number five. If it were the case that Muslims really condemn terror, you know, why, why aren't they, why, why isn't there a statement? Well, Islam is not centralized like the Catholic Church. I mean, it would be difficult for the Protestant Church to issue a statement of condemnation against anything. We, there's just not a central agency, but you can find it. But most of all, my friends, it's, 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 not, it's not so important to remember who our enemy is. That's not as important. The reason I mention it is because I'm just so tired of seeing people living in fear. It's unnecessary. Yes, there are bad people in this world, but the majority of people in this world aren't. We're people. The most important thing for us to do today is to remember those that lost their lives unnecessarily. And where we go from here is to remember the words of Jesus. Jesus, not only what he said, but what he did. Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. As he died, a criminal's death. The passage we read, Jesus is saying, do what God does. What does God do? God loves the unlovable. Are the jihadists in this world, this 1% of the Muslim world, are they the unlovable? Yes, but does God love them? Yes. Does God think it's great what they're doing? No. But does God love them and long for their salvation, for them to stop this kind of stuff in our world? Yes. Is it a challenge for me to love the unlovable? Yes. And I'm working on it. I'm not there yet. But that's what God does. And God calls us to do what He does. Love the unlovable. Give your best to everyone. The good, the bad, the nice, the nasty. It's easy for us to love each other most of the time. Be hard for us. To love others that are not nice, others that are nasty. Jesus says, love your enemies. We have enemies. Al-Qaeda, jihadists are enemies. But we are not to hate them. We are to love them. We are to let them bring out the best in us. We are to respond with the energies of prayer. How much prayer have we devoted for the salvation of crazy people on our planet? 
Have we fasted? Have we prayed that these individuals would be saved from their insanity? Do we spend as much time with Jesus in His Word praying for the salvation as the nuts in this world as we do listening to the TV and the radio? Who's really shaping our worldview? I read a very challenging article this week by Miroslav Wolf. Miroslav grew up in the communist world. He is now uh, the chair of theology at Yale. He's a brilliant man. His books are unbelievably good. But he wrote an article entitled, Did 9-11 Make Us Morally Better? Did our enemies bring out the best in us? And unfortunately, the scale is, is tilted towards they brought out the worst more than the best. As far as prejudice toward Muslims is concerned, in 2002, 39% of us had unfavor- unfavorable views of Islam. 2010, that had increased by 10%. Now, almost half of the U.S. population has an unfavorable view of Muslim people. That's not our best. As much as I know we wish that the 10 years of enmity and war, I mean, I I really wish that we had fewer enemies, but the truth is we have more enemies today than we had 10 years ago. We actually stepped into the trap that was set for us. See, the only way that 1% of that population of jihadists could recruit others to their cause is to say, see, the West is out to destroy us. Fortunately, it hadn't worked. But we still have more enemies, not fewer. Exceptionalism, again, this is hard for me to read, but it's true. I've been out of the country enough to know it's true. Our country right now, unfortunately, because in its, in its pursuit for security, which is, my friends, if, it's, if our security is not in the Lord, there is no security. Does not the Bible teach us that? Is our faith in horses and chariots, tanks? If it is, we're never going to have security. But we're saying right now to others, you, you, you do unto others like you would, but we're going to do as we please. Right now, the U.S. is looked at as a hypocritical bully in the world. It's not our best. How, how did we get here? 60% of white evangelicals in 2009, agreed that torture was justified when interrogating suspected terrorists. How did we get there? You watched, you watched the video of waterboarding? 
It's not a pretty picture. Finally, America, as great as as our roots in Christianity are, America is not the perfect nation. But for many Christians, America has become a fierce goddess. America has become an idol. My friends, if we, the followers of Jesus, don't take to heart what Jesus has done and what Jesus is challenging us with, what he is saying, if we don't work hard to follow Jesus, I am not in any way suggesting that it's not difficult. It is hard to love your enemies. It's like it's impossible. But Jesus keeps doing that to us. He keeps asking us to do the impossible. Why? so that we continue to invite the Holy Spirit to empower us to do that which we don't do naturally. The most natural thing for us to do as people, as Americans in this season, is to hate. That's that's easy. We're bent that way. But Jesus is saying, I'm not asking you to go your natural way. I'm asking you to go the way of the supernatural. We can't do it, but He in us can. When we are weak, He becomes strong. We are to love our enemies. So if we're going to get there as a nation, my friends, it's got to start with us. There's nobody else in our nation, there's nobody else on the planet that's trying to follow Jesus. And if we're not following Jesus, who else is? No one else is. And what's our, what's going to, where, where's the planet going to go? Who's like Jesus? Who gives instructions? Who lived his life like this? We must become like Jesus. Well, how do we get there? Well, we got to start with grief. My friends, we have suffered tremendous loss on this planet. The sin of man. Doesn't matter what nationality, doesn't matter what religion, the sin, what we have done to each other. Forget about the devil. I mean, it's not that he's not real, he is. But what do we do to each other? Susan and I are going to Rwanda. Do we realize that the genocide happened in the most Christian of the African nations? That translates to Christians taking a machete and slaughtering Christians? What happened? The loss, what we do to each other, how we justify hurting each other, how we justify stealing from each other, how we justify killing each other, hating each other. The loss. What have what we, what we, what we done? We really need to grieve. We need to spend time grieving. That means being sad. That means weeping. We need to do that alone. We need to do that together. 
Ten years of war. It's a lot of loss. A lot of loss. A lot of young men and women have died in this cause. It's loss. You need to grieve that. And then we've got to encourage each other to follow Jesus' example of forgiveness and love. If you hear me say, I hate the jihadist, be patient. Maybe it's just a bad day. But if I repeat it the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and I'm, and I'm spewing hatred, you need to pull me up and say, time out, Scott. Jesus said something different. We all hear conversations, whether it's at our dinner table, whether it's in the restaurant, the table next to us, whether it's at work, whether it's in the classroom, people begin to say things that are outright wrong. And we got to be brave enough to say, you know, I'm not there yet, but I'm trying to follow Jesus. And the path you're taking us down is towards total destruction. Let's not go there. Let's try to follow Jesus. Let's figure it out. How do we forgive? How do we forgive? And how do we love the enemy? We need to meditate on Jesus' instruction a lot. I don't want just, I, I flash some, some verses up there. It's not good enough for me just to flash that up there. We need to take those words, open it up, Matthew 5, read it. Read it. Read it. God, I don't, I don't, I don't, how do I get this into me? How does this word change me? In time, individually and nationally, we must forgive. It may not be today. Can't force forgiveness. But we should acknowledge this slogan, never forget. And it's accompanied silence thing and never forgive. That is dead wrong. And that will destroy each one of us, it will destroy our families, it will destroy our nation. That is the sure path to destruction. Unforgiveness rots us from the inside out. And we will end up doing exactly what they did to us. That's where unforgiveness will take us as a nation. And again, it's got to start with us. We're following Jesus, aren't we? Aren't we following Jesus? Then we got to get to a place of forgiveness, loving our enemies. One of my friends, I never knew this, one of my friends lost his brother in Vietnam, 1962. He knew exactly the same day, the day that his brother died. He said, I can't forgive the North Vietnamese. I know it's the right thing to do, but I can't do it yet. Well, I understand that. That's 40 years, okay. You've been working on that for 40 years. Someday before you go to heaven... You'll want, you'll want to forgive. And if you don't forgive, you will in heaven. We've got to work towards forgiveness. We've got to learn how to love our enemies. I, I don't know how to do that. But I know we have to learn how to do it. And then finally, last suggestion, my friends, take responsibility for your own education.
Read. Read people you don't agree with. Don't just read the people that confirm your own twisted world. Use the internet. It's a great tool. Google. Everything I've said today, you can Google. Read. Think. Pray. Research. We ought to be able to talk about this stuff. We can respectfully disagree with each other. We need to be reading about the world of Islam. Unfortunately, most of us don't know Arabic, so we're still not really getting it. If you don't speak Arabic, we're just not going to understand. Totally. But But I can tell you, my friends... Unfortunately, there's nine people leading us astray and one person leading us to truth. And if we individually and as a community of people don't acknowledge that that's happening in our world, we are really naive. You judge everything by its fruit. The best fruit is the fruit of the kingdom of God. So when you're reading and you're thinking and you're discussing if the end product is coming to the point of forgiving our enemies and loving them, then you know you're on the right path. If what you're reading and researching and discussing leads you to hatred, you're on the wrong path because that's not the path of Jesus. Who are you going to follow? Who are you going to follow? Who are we as a community going to follow? Who is the church in the world going to follow? You got to decide who you're going to follow. The reason for that is I don't want to have another day of remembrance 10 years from now. For the next event or the next event or the next tragedy or the next genocide or the next whatever. It is time for the followers of Jesus to recognize what Jesus has given to us. I confer upon you, my followers, the powerful and the dignified rule of God Almighty. And I have poured peace and justice and love and forgiveness into your life. And I expect that you give that away to your nation and the nations of the world. My kingdom has come. My kingdom is within your reach. Reach out and grab onto it. And deliver the message of the good news of the kingdom to every nation on the planet. I want a new planet. I want a new world. I want a new heaven and an earth to come starting today. And I'll finish it when I return.
That's where you and I need to live. That's the call on our lives. Our world can be a better place because of who Jesus is and what Jesus can do through us. We will not perfect our world until he returns, but we can do a lot better than what we're doing today. Would you please stand with me? Our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, you're in heaven. You oversee all that we have done this day. You've overseen the past 10 years. You oversaw the day of tragedy that happened 10 years ago. You do not forget. You know. Lord, when these things happen, it's hard. I I lose my bearing on how to praise you. I know that your name has been misused. I know that those that perpetuated this horrible crime on our planet used the name of God to justify what they were doing, but that's not your name. This is not what you do. This is not who you are. So, Lord, in remembrance of the, the losses that we've had over the last 10 years, Lord, it's, it is hard. It's hard for me to focus upon your name. It's hard for me to, to focus upon your beauty and your wonder when I see the pain and the destruction that we bring upon ourselves. And I know that you're worthy of praise regardless, but, oh, Lord, it's difficult for me to see through our loss, our pain, to give you praise. But Lord, through that, I know that I've not lost hope. I know that you are the hope of our world. I know that the power and the dignity of your kingdom come and coming is all that we have to hold on to. And I would pray, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to bring that hope alive in every one of us. That we know, without a shadow of a doubt, that within our reach is your power. Within our reach is your dignity. And as we grab on to your kingdom come, we're able to go out into our city, to go out into our state, our nation, the nations of the world, with the message of the good news of your kingdom. The day will come where we don't have to remember events like 9-11.
or it'll be over. But until that day comes, Lord, I pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit to empower us to represent your kingdom well. I ask you, Lord, to show us how to love our enemies. I ask you to show us how to forgive those that have been so, so unrighteous, unholy, violent. Finally, Lord, I ask that you would renew within us this this commitment to following you regardless and that each one of us would follow you more than we follow anyone else on the planet. May we truly become like you, Lord, in every way. For your sake, the sake of your kingdom, and really for the sake of our planet, in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Before you go today, I just want to invite anyone, if you uh, have a, just a sense of loss and you would like someone to pray with you, we'll be glad to pray together. If you really struggle with forgiving others, would love to pray with you. If, you know, if it just right now it just seems impossible to love an enemy, you know, let's, let's pray about that together. We can do that before you go. If there's anything else in your world that you just want additional prayer for, we just hang out and do that. If not, uh, let's continue to remember this day and let's commit ourselves to service for a different cause in the name of Jesus. Amen.